Tonight we're here with Joe Anderson, PhD, author and advisor to America's owners. And tonight we're going to talk about vision-based leadership, which is a topic and a concept and a philosophy he's come up with when it comes to being a leader and how to lead people. Here's my, my one number one question out of the gate. What prevents you from being creative? Is everybody born creative? Is it something that you're gifted with or can you become creative? What's the process? How do you narrow down who are the the most creative people out there? There are some people that just have it as a gift. It's like somebody's got a jump shot. You can improve it, but if you ain't got it to start with, it doesn't matter how much you're going to practice, it's never going to come. So there are some people who are natural creatives. They have that bent. They have that uh, oddball perspective on life. They are the awkward stranger in the room, uh, and they just they have that. It's like an extra gene. Uh, for the rest of us, we can approach that, uh, and through discipline, practice, and just awareness, we can come fairly close to that. But there is a class of person that is just gifted and is outside the normal realm. Are, are these the, the, the problem solvers that go above and beyond and, you know, create new products? Or... Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Either they are, or they burn out early, or they are destroyed by the system, uh, one or the other. Uh, the people that are the true creatives don't fit comfortably within the systems and organizations of the day, and therefore uh, it it triggers a great deal of pushing and shoving under the basket. Uh, it's not a comfortable thing to be a creative person in that realm. Are they, are they rebels? Well, they don't see themselves as rebels. That's the thing. They see themselves as people who have uncovered the actual truth of the world. And very often they're a little bit bewildered by the world's reaction. Uh, that I think when, whenever anybody comes up with the idea, the frame of reference that's going to change the world, uh, they are so excited they, f they found the right answer that they cannot believe that other people don't buy in right away. Do they expect people to buy in or Absolutely. is this something they have to convince people <laughs> of or yeah. no. worse? If, if they're experienced and if they've lived long enough so they've been through this a, a time or two, they have a bit more understanding of the human condition. And so they're a little bit more patient. They have a little bit more of a sense of humor. Uh, but the first few times they do this, uh, they are filled with the passion and um, the zealous um, rage and sense of urgency uh, of a prophet crying in the wilderness. So you, you, you've researched this. You've come to the conclusion that there are people that are gifted with this, that are born with it. And the rest of us can work our way close to that. Uh, and that if if all the book was about was just about the people who were the natural creatives, then you'd have a nice biography and you'd be done with it. Uh, but what I'm trying to do is to uncover those things that are common to all these creative folks and say, look at these things and see if they're in you. And if you see a grain of that in you, start to develop that aspect. Ride that horse. Uh, and... Uh, we can get close. So you've written the book. You've researched the book. I'll say that it, I have read the book, and I found it fascinating. Um, Thank there, you. There are some characters in here that are from history. Yes. And uh, they all stick out in different ways. But the 
the, the big question or one of the, the words that stuck out in the book was the word dangerous. So is it actually dangerous to be creative? Because it sounds like it's a a gift that you've you've gotten and you're going to change the world, so why won't you just all listen to me? <laughs> Creativity always ends up creating a new idea. And a new idea is rarely a comfort to people who have been living quite well with the old idea. Uh, and so there's an effort to marginalize that creative person. And if that doesn't silence them, if that doesn't get them to fall in line, then you ostracize them completely. If that doesn't work, then you start to punish them. If that doesn't work, you start to jail and torture them. And if that doesn't work, you just eliminate them. So uh, can can you tell our audience out there listening um, the four characters that you have recognized and, and maybe let me know, let them know which one was in the most danger that lived, you know, in our past, I, I would say. Yeah. Well, let me explain how we got to the notion of the, the front half of this book is biography. Second half of the book is what are the lessons we learn from these biographies. I, I'm convinced I, that ideas come from individuals, not from groups. Uh, when we have a group that starts getting into a creative process, we have to realize it's a series of individuals that are all pigpiling on each other, but it's individual actions uh, that are there. Therefore, if we want to really cut to the, the crux of this, I think we want to study individuals. So what I did was I just made an arbitrary list of the folks that I felt had, had changed history. I think I had like 72 folks on that. I started studying them and started seeing similarities. And compressed it down to about 33 people. And at that point, I started to realize that it was almost as though these people all had the same template in their life. And at that point, I just picked four. They're quite arbitrary. They're quite biased because of my own experience. I am a straight white male. I tend to be conservative. Uh, I'm an American. All of that stuff uh, affects uh, the decisions that I make. So I wanted to just say up front, of course it's biased. Uh, it's a it's an opinion piece. It should be biased, uh, and people should react to it with their opinions, and they should be biased, and that's the way we'll move knowledge forward is to work that way. But I have the four characters, and I picked one from religion. Uh, that's Martin Luther. I picked one from politics and governance. That's uh, Ben Franklin. I, I picked perhaps the most radical one was a, a, a meek little ethical uh, philosopher, a moral philosopher from Scotland. Uh, Adam Smith. And then the fourth one was uh, was Albert Einstein uh, that it just turned the world upside down and on its ear at the same time because you couldn't really tell because space is in a hurry and, and time bends. And, you know, it, very strange stuff came out of Albert. But these people are, are folks that changed the world in enormous ways in their own fields. And, and these people are, when you talk about individual versus group, these are truly four individuals that are very well known for four very different things. But, you know, talking about group versus individual, because this is one of the things, I guess, as we move forward in our life, our career, um, retirement, anything, we're all affected by groups. And to be that individual, if you're in a situation leading people, how do you, what do you learn from, from these four stories how can you encapsulate that, I guess, to where 
Are you in danger by being an individual and pushing ahead, trudging through, um, trying to have your voice heard? Well, that's about 11 questions. We're going to try to take one of them at a time okay. here. Um, the, uh, the first thing is the relationship between the individual and the group. Uh, each one of these folks was a very strong individual, did a lot of solo work. But each one of the four of them was also very, very closely associated with a group. Uh, that Einstein had a, had a group of three or four guys that would stick with him through thick and thin, and they formed their own little society, and the other guys in the group would run do basically Einstein's research and bring him articles and thoughts and papers from people all over the world and kind of stimulate him. And they served mostly as his sounding board, but they were through thick and thin his compadres, his advocates, his champions. The same is true of Martin Luther, that he was waging battle against the monolith of the Catholic Church of that day and age, but he did have a consortium, a small group of people who stood behind him, were his sounding board, and also pushed back on occasion. Uh, but they kept that process going and dynamic. The same is true of Adam Smith, who was part of the Scottish Renaissance and would sit around in the, uh, the pubs in Scotland arguing back and forth with like-minded people there. And Ben Franklin's perhaps the most interesting one. Uh, he formed a group called the Leather Apron Society because there was no sounding board for somebody like him, a guy starting a business who was trying to learn how to run it, make money, make lots of money, and also have a positive impact on the world around him. And here it is, what now, 300 years later, and I now work as chair of a group uh, that is following uh, Ben Franklin's guidebook on basically how you get CEOs, business owners together, how you stimulate their discussion, and how you guide it in such a way that it helps them take apart their business, their neighbor's business, and help put them both back together. Um, so I think that's the most important thing to realize is the, these individuals don't hide out in a garage or a cave by themselves. They do have quite a bit of interaction with the group. But it's a group that's there primarily to serve as their sounding board and their champions. What was the next question involved there? The danger? Danger. Okay. Uh, humans go through a mourning process. Uh, and there's a, the standard one of, of saying, okay, you got five stages in it. Uh, that the first stage is denial. No, this can't be happening. This is not true. This, this kind of stuff just is not permissible. Uh, the second stage is rage. Once they realize, no, this is actually happening. And... Um, if you look at the political realm uh, here in the year 2016, you see quite a few noisy politicians that are just sitting there enraged and a general populace that is enraged because there are changes that have occurred that they just simply do not like. And so there's part of the population that is strongly in stage two in the mourning process. Uh, the next stage is bargaining. Uh, once people realize they can't defeat something just by being angry at it and trying to physically do it in, they'll start to bargain with it. Uh, and uh, I'll give you this if you give me that. I'll stop doing this if you stop doing that. And for goodness sake, let's just can Obamacare and start all over again. We'll make believe that never happened. Uh, and when that doesn't happen, then the fourth stage is to move into acute depression. There is no reason to live. My life has been turned upside down. It's time for me to die or move to New Zealand, which sometimes people consider to be the same thing. 
And then the fifth stage is finally acceptance, where people will go, okay, so it's the new law of the land. Uh, what we're going through now is no different than what happened during the Great Depression back in the 1930s when Social Security was approved. It was the exact same thing, only then people were yelling and screaming that it was the communists taking over. Uh, but it, it was just as much upheaval, just as much anger, just as much rage. Uh, so that, that part doesn't change. Um, and sometimes it, it does get downright dangerous. Uh, Martin Luther uh, was condemned to die and would have been executed had not somebody left the bathroom door open. And while the, uh, the Pope's minions were concluding the trial for him, he literally climbed out the back, Jack, got on a horse, and a couple of the barons uh, led him out of town and put him in a castle far away and protected him so that the, uh, the, the Reformation had a chance to get started. If it hadn't been for them, he would have been a goner. Uh, ben Franklin had a price on his head, two prices. One was that, get this, Ben Franklin was a runaway slave. Uh, he had been an indentured servant to his own brother, found that his own brother was fairly dense, and he didn't like working for him, so he left, and there was a price put on his head, uh, and he, he had to run away, and that's how he got to Philadelphia. Uh, he also had a price by, from the King of England during the Revolutionary War, but the king saw fit to give him a right of safe passage to come over and address the Royal uh, Academy of Science on electricity because he was at that time the leading authority on electricity studies in the world. Uh, so there's all sorts of really kind of interesting anomalies that go on here. Do you think these people, these individuals, were were they thinking differently? Or was how did their creativity play into how they think? Did they see the world differently? Well, for the most part, yeah, they, they saw the world differently, but the real revolutionary impact they had on the world came from very simple concepts. That's the thing that blew me away was that it wasn't rocket science so much as it was just a bold and simple step. Uh, in Martin Luther's day, man had been convinced that there was a God and the God was very pissed and that he just wanted to dangle them over the pits of hell. And the church was the intercessory power that would connect man with God indirectly and would kind of buy your way into heaven there. And Luther came up with this incredible notion that, yeah, there was a God, but God wasn't pissed. In fact, God kind of liked us, and God made a deal that we could go and live with him forever, and all we had to do was just say, thank you, I'll come. And that was it. And that was the core of the Reformation, was over that dichotomy. A simple assumption, but it challenged a mighty monolith that was in power. Uh, ben Franklin, something very similar, he said that man is capable, the individual man is capable of standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with the king. In fact, we don't really need a king. The common man can rule himself. What a concept. And that gave rise to a whole school of thought, that he was meeting with, with people and training leaders for the country a good 40 years before the Revolutionary War. Uh, through this organization, he started the Leather Apron Society, and then he went on to form the American Philosophical Association, which was really the training ground for the government things. But they followed the same rules. 
just the questions, use the Socratic method, challenge each other, be each other's champion, and just hammer out what it would mean to have self-rule. So, I mean, this is fascinating, and these four people basically came up with ideas that changed the world as we know it in, in history, but in the at the heart, they were leaders. So I guess to go into that direction, what what is leadership? Well, the four that I chose uh, did not end up being rulers of a country. They did not end up being generals. They did not be end up being owners of major companies. They were not leaders in the usual sense of the word. They were thought leaders. Uh, and they they had a bigger impact on the world than the generals, the presidents, uh, the leaders of, of major organizations. In fact, when Albert Einstein's theories were proven to be correct, uh, he became a, a world power in and of himself. When he did his American tour to explain, basically to read his paper on relativity, uh, when his boat docked in New York, the press of the crowd was so great on the dock that several reporters got pushed into the water and drowned. Uh, that they would get 100,000 people to show up for a lecture of his where the seating in the auditorium was only for a mere 10,000 people. And they'd sit around outside in the rain and they had loud speakers out there. Um, he was offered the presidency of the state of Israel when it was first formed. Uh, he was a major ambassador uh, of pacifism before World War II. He came up with the notion of the 2% movement, which would have caused the selective service and the draft uh, mechanism in European countries to collapse just from the weight of trying to enforce the draft law. And he only backed off on that when he realized that, as he said, every now and then history gives us a leader of pure evil, and that evil is named Adolf Hitler. And at that point, he reversed field, and he said no. It's time we have to have a war, and we have to get the young men and put them on the battlefield. Um, so he he swung public opinion. Uh, he he moved academia, which is a core of building the prototypes based on new ideas, and he basically ushered in the atomic age as well as the age of space travel. So it, when you talk about a thought leader. Um, these these people changed the direction of how people viewed the world yeah. or pieces of it. And what makes those people, I guess, able? Uh, does it take time? Does it happen right away? Or is this something that happened later and took, you know, many years once this idea was introduced by any one of these four? Well, Ben Franklin started the Leather Apron Society back in the 1730s. The Revolutionary War occurred in 1776, so that's 40 years. And then by the time the Constitution was written, that was another 15 years after that. He was just a grizzled old apple core sitting in the corner, but they brought him back and stuck him in the corner in a rocking chair to sit there as a talisman, the sacred icon that would keep them focused on the task. And although he could barely stand up and feed himself, he was such a strong moral force sitting in the corner that just his being there contributed to them holding together long enough to write a workable constitution. Uh, and this whole notion of leadership 
uh, tied to institutions is a real interesting one. That's the way we live in 21st century America. But let me ask you a question, Matt. If you had your choice between running, oh, the Orlando Magic, the basketball team here, or changing the way the world interacts on some issue, let's say economics, let's say manufacturing technology, let's say communications, which would you choose? Well, one sounds like it would take much longer than the other. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, running an institution is actually an easier way to exercise leadership in the world. Uh, thought leadership is a much uh, longer process, much more convoluted, but by the same token, uh, it has an impact that lasts hundreds of years. And is, is this where people burn out, though? Is this where sure you get an idea? Let's say you're at work, and you work for a, a big corporation, and you have a vision, you have an idea. Are you eaten up and shredded out and burned out because of the system? Because thought leaders, it may take you 5, 10, 15 years to formulate these ideas and push them forward and see real change, if ever? Well, there is there is an unwritten law of nature that the institution wants to grind you into dust because you're threatening the institution, because you're a disruptive force when you come with these new ideas. It doesn't matter, really, if it's rearranging the furniture or if it's changing the whole technology of your field, uh, that it's always going to be an irritant to somebody. So there's a natural push uh, to just get rid of this irritant there. Uh, and so, yeah, there, you've got to have some staying power. You've got to have some belief in what you're doing. You've got to have some support troops behind you. You need to have that, that group of folks that believes in you. And it can be at work, uh, fellow travelers there, or it could be outside of work. Uh, a spouse that supports you is a wonderful, wonderful thing, never to be underestimated. Uh, whether it's the love of a good woman or the love of a good man, it doesn't much matter. Uh, my favorite author of all time was told by his wife back when he couldn't sell a single book, just keep writing, sweetheart. It may not happen until after you're dead, but eventually these things are going to be bestsellers. Um, you got to love a woman like that. I happen to marry one. Uh, but it's, it's that kind of support from not only spouse, but also from friends, from compatriots that say, you know, I know it isn't catching on yet, but let's sit down and chew over this a little bit more. I'll buy. And how do you, how do you, <coughs> you how do what you talk about people resisting or you know wanting to grind you up in dust? How do you convert the the resistors the the folks that may be above you, or does that just take time? Well, if you want to put it within an organizational setting, which is appropriate because most people are going to operate within an organization here. One of the things is to ask yourselves, what are the key driving forces in this organization? Uh, for instance, uh, if you're a church, uh, it might be that uh, we got three things that are crucial to us. Love God, love people, make disciples. Okay, so you say, okay, is what I'm doing staying true to those principles? If I can work within that ballpark, then it frees me up and the organization will be a little bit more accepting of 
all the wild and interesting ways I have to go about accomplishing those things. If, however, you come up like Martin Luther or Ben Franklin, you say, I'm sorry, I've got to challenge the very basic tenets here, uh, then it's going to be more difficult. Uh, at that point, then the organization really has an existential threat staring it in the face, and it tends to react uh, very harshly. But most most employees are in a situation where they work within the norms and within the in the value statement of the organization. Well, Joe, thank you for the information and the inspiration. It's been a great conversation. And can you tell folks how they can learn more about everything you do and everything you have to offer? Well, yeah, visit uh, joeandersonphd.com. It's kind of a soup to nuts on, on me, what I do as a writer, what I do uh, coaching CEOs, and uh, what I do as a speaker. You know, it's kind of me in a nutshell all in one location. Great. More podcasts to come? Well, as long as we continue to be nice to each other, I think yeah. that that'll work. So Great. Good. Hey, it's been a nice time tonight. Great. See you guys next time. All righty. Bye. Bye. <laughs>